Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies together together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these boasts were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the title of the message, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. And thank you, Father, for this book. For in this book we understand how it's all going to come out, how it's going to finish. And though sometimes we get discouraged in our day in which we're living, as we look around the conditions of the world, our churches, and the indifference of people to the truth of the word of God Father we can find encouragement and strength in knowing we know how it's all going to end we know that our Lord Jesus Christ is one day going to put down all wickedness and he will reign supreme he will be the king of kings and lord of lords in reality in real life and so Father we pray that you take encouragement Help us to be warned, beware, and be wise to realize that the judgment day is coming and help us to be prepared. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is really the scene of what we often refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. You know, all nations will be gathered together against Israel to utterly destroy her. Joel chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations, and will bring them down in the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people, and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and parted my land. You know, this is, of course, this account is spoken of, in many passages of Scripture, 
in Zechariah chapter 14, the prophet Zechariah said in verses 1 through 4, Behold the day of the Lord. And that's what this is. This is, you know, when the Bible speaks in the New Testament about the day of the Lord, it's not talking about the rapture of the saints. He's really talking about when the Lord really comes and is going to come to earth. You know, in, in, in the, when the rapture, we're going to be caught up together with him in the air. When the second coming, he's going to come to the earth. In fact, we're going to see he's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives. Verse 4 here tells us. So he's actually going to come. And this is what he's referring to, the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather, and again, all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled. No, it's not talking about using rifles. It's talking about destruction and, and just destroying everything. And the women ravished, and the half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of the battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and so on. Uh, this is also spoken of in the New Testament in Second Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, verses 7 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says, To you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among, among you was believed in that day. And then, of course, there's, there's little pictures, a little references made to it in the book of Revelation in several places. For example, in Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20. Uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 14, uh, yeah, 17 through 20. It says, Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had power of fire, cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, and her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And that's, again, talking about the gathering. He's talking about the, the bringing to fruit, the fruition, the wickedness of mankind. It's coming to its full, and it's going to be gathered into one place, and that wine press is going to be the valley of Jehoshaphat. And verse 20 says, And the wine press was trodden without city, and blood came out of the wine press, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and two hundred furlongs. That's two hundred miles. That's the length of the Valley of Jehoshaphat, about the length of the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And of course, in chapter 16, and verses 12 through 16, just giving you this, this, this kind of adds to the story, because Revelation 19 doesn't give us a lot of details, but here in Revelation 16, verse 12 to 16, it says, and again, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I mentioned when we did chapter 16 that you know, they're building dams, and because of the, the use of the water of the Euphrates, Euphrates is being dried up. I mean, you can walk across it in places now. Um, he says, and I saw, verse 13, 
Three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And you notice again, these spirits go forth to the whole world to gather them together. The whole world. So we're talking about, again, when the Bible says all nations, it means all nations. You you say, well, the United States would never support something like that. Yes, they will. You know, the raptures happened seven years ago from this time frame we're talking about. And what do you think is going to happen when all the saints are removed from the United States? I mean, our country's going to, it's already changing. It's already going downhill. You know, it, it will change drastically when the saints are gone. We are the restraining force in this world. Uh, in chapter 9, there's an interesting phrase, in cha- or something to note, I want to note in chapter 9, verse uh, 16. It says, the number of the army of the horsemen, and this is talking about the Euphrates being dried up, that the way of the kings of the east, the number of the army... Of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of him. Who, who, who on the earth can put a 200 million man army together? China? India? And this week, China, Chinese, the Chinese People's Liberation Army is making some preparations for some serious war exercises called the International Army Games. And these exercises will include 10 different countries. Russia, Azerbaijan, uh, I'm not sure how to say that. You know, some of these nations I never heard of. They've got new names. Azerbaijan or something like that. Armenia, Belarus, India, Iran, Kazakhstan, China, Mongolia, and Uzbekistan. More than 6,000 troops will be participating in the games between August 3rd to the 17th. And a total of 31 exercises will be held. And, and just this past, I think it was just this past week, just recently, China uh, jets flew into South Korean airspace, and South Korea sent some F-16s, I think they were up, and machine gun fired warning shots at them. And this happened twice, just recently. Um, you know, I believe that the, 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 the uh, nations are being fair. You know, think of all those nations that got together. Guess who's not there? We're not. Uh, but anyway, you know, this is, when the Bible says all nations are kind of come together, uh, you know, you, you, you have, you know, from the east, of course, India, China, Iran. Uh, in the north, you have Russia and all the satellite nations. Uh, to the west, you have Europe, which, by the way, is being overrun with Muslims. And, of course, also to the west, you have the Americas. Uh, and, again, with the rapture of the saints, things in America were going to change very drastically. And there's a there's a great increase of anti-Semitism in our country. 
But this battle, well, this battle we're sp- speaking of here that, that, that John, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking of here in Revelation 19, is what we call commonly referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. Yeah, this battle will bring to an end what's referred to as the times of the Gentiles spoken of in Luke 21-24, where it says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive unto all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You see, since Nebuchadnezzar till this day, Israel really hasn't been, had dominion over itself. They've been subject to other nations. Though, yes, they're their own nation today, but they're very dependent upon other nations still. They don't have the dominion they had. And this, the Bible refers to this time from, from, from Nebuchadnezzar till this time as the times of the Gentiles. The Gentiles really rule the world. Until that time, David, Solomon, they did. But this is going to bring to an end the time of the Gentiles, and of course, it will usher in the reign of the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to notice several things about this second coming, and particularly about the one of whom we're speaking, who's going to take vengeance on the world and destroy it. First of all, it describes him as faithful and true. If you notice verse 11, saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Yeah, again, this is a, the literal second coming of Christ when he, the faithful and true one, will fulfill his promises. And, and I think that's kind of the idea here of the name, faithful and true. Faithful, the word faithful means trusty or one who can be relied on. And this, this account is really the fulfillment of promises that God has given to the nation of Israel for hundreds of years, and to us. And many you know, say today, well, where's the promise of us coming? We've been hearing this for years and nothing's happened, you know. And Yeah, that's a good indication that it's soon. That's what Peter says. Because they're going to say, where is the promise of us coming? All things continue as they are. You know, Second Peter 3, 4, where is the promise? Of, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, the wicked prosper. The wicked seem to escape judgment. They're gaining power. I mean, does the Lord really know what's going on? You know, some people have that idea. But really, that's what the Bible says would happen. That would be characteristic of the last days. 2 Timothy 3.1, he said the last days would be described as perilous times. In verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, he said, Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That is the day in which we're living. But we must remember that this one who is faithful and true, who is going to keep his promises, he's going to come in his time, not ours. It's in his time. You know, in Isaiah 60, verse 22, it says, A little one shall become a thousand. And a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. His time. Second Thessalonians 2.6 says, And know ye now, or now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. And First Timothy 6.15, 
which in his times he shall show. Who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, it's going to be in God's time. It's not in our time. You know, we have the idea of when things should happen, but it is, Jesus said to the disciples, it's not for you to know the things which the Father has put in his own power. It's not for you to know the times. It's in his time. So we can rest assured that the one who is faithful and true will keep his promises, but it's going to be in his time. It's not in ours. And he will fulfill his promises to his people. It says in verse 11 again, the end of the verse, And in righteousness he doth judge and make war, because he is the faithful and true one. In Isaiah 63, in Isaiah 63, he gave this promise to the children of Israel. In Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 8, where he says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there were none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk with my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord, and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to his multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. You know, it, uh, draw your attention to a couple of things there. It says, there, he says, uh, 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 For I will stain all my garments. Verse uh, Verse uh, 5, And I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered, there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. And I will trend down the people. I will bring down their strength. You know, this is his battle, and he is going to judge, and he's going to make war on the wicked of the earth. You know, this is not Reconstruction theology. Now, from what I understand, that's kind of dead now. But back in the 70s, there was this philosophy came along called Reconstructionism. And Reconstruction theology, and they're all millennial, and, uh, or post-millennial, and they don't have a post to stand on. Uh, but all millennial means that they, or we, the Christians, we will legis- the idea kind of is that we would legislate morality and law will reign, and we will bring in the kingdom, and then we will bring, and then Christ will come back and sit on the throne of David and rule. But we would bring it in. We're going to set the stage for it. And this really became popular with the Christian school movement in the 70s, and then with Ronald Reagan being elected president in the 80s, and more majority and all that gobbledygook. And mess. But how is that philosophy working now? 
it can't be denied that things are much worse spiritually and morally than they were in the 70s and 80s. Worldwide. I mean worldwide. I, I realize there are parts of the world where you know, the gospel is being received, but as a whole, worldwide, the world is a wicked, much more wicked place than it was then. Uh, and again, 2 Timothy 2.3, uh, it, it uh, totally negates that philosophy because the last days are going to be described as perilous, Paul said. And they're going to get, the evil are going to wax worse and worse. And it is not we who set up the kingdom and Christ comes and rules on it. He is the one that's going to destroy the enemy. He alone. You know, the battle is the Lord's, David said. And even in Jude, Jude spoke of Enoch. Enoch, that seventh from Adam, said, The Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The Lord is going to execute judgment. It's the Lord. It's not us. You see, he is the faithful and true one. He's going to fulfill his promises. But the second thing I want you to notice here is the power of the word of God. If you notice in verses 12 through 15, it says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, his name is called the Word of God, and it says he's going to that out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, which with it he's going to smite the nations. And verse twenty-one again says, "The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth." Now. You know, I was reading this, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, the Bible makes, by man's way of thinking, some outrageous statements. That we would say, oh, really? You know, that, that's kind of be, you know, from man's point of view, we'd say, oh, really? For example, he said the blood's going to flow to the horse's bridle for 200 miles. Oh, Really? Yeah, really. I believe it's true. Because everything else the Bible says is true. So why wouldn't that be true? Now, let me give you some other outrageous things that maybe you never really thought these through before. You know, there's great power in the Word of God. I mean, great power. It says, with His Word, He's going to smite the nations. With His Word. In Genesis 17.3, the Bible says Abraham, or Abram, fell on his face, and God talked with him. When God talked to Abraham, he fell on his face. In Joshua 5.14, it says, and he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face. Joshua wasn't a wimp. 
He was a mighty warrior. But when the Lord spoke to him, he fell on his face. And said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? In Daniel chapter 4, you have the mighty, pompous king, the mightiest of his day, walking around his palace, bragging about it. Look at this Babylon that I have built. And there's this voice from heaven that says, The kingdom is departed from thee. And he becomes a mad, insane man that goes out and eats grass like an ox and lets his, his, his nails grow like eagle's claws. Simply from a voice from heaven. I'm telling you, friends, there's power in the word of God. You have an arrogant, pompous Herod. Kills James with a sword. Arrests Peter and puts him in prison. The Lord delivered Peter. So he kills the guards. Then he goes to Tyre and Sidon. He gives a speech, an oration. And the people shouted, it's the voice of a God, not a man. And the Lord smote him. And he was eating the worms. In John 18, verse 5 and 6, they came to arrest Jesus when he's in the garden. And he goes over and says, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they all fell to the ground. You know, Acts chapter 9, there was a very zealous, arrogant Jew with authority from the chief priests who were supposed to represent God. He had authority from the chief priests. He's on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. And the Lord Jesus met him on the road, and he fell to the earth, blinded, and was left being led by the hand to Damascus. He was blinded by the glory of the Lord, and he was forever transformed by the power of the word of God. In Acts 17, 6 and 7, the Bible says this, When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of this city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these do all contrary to the decrees of Caesar, Caesar, saying there is another king, one Jesus. You see, there's power in the word of God. Kenneth Bay was a missionary, a, a Korean, American-Korean, American I think he was, a Korean-American pastor. He was a missionary was held hostage in North Korea from 2012 to 2014. And in a recently released video that's titled, um, see if I can find the title over here. I'm not sure if you can get this, see this video. Anyway, uh, it depicts the fate of the Christians in North Korea. This pastor who was once imprisoned by communist government tells American Christians of the power of the testimony of Jesus Christ in fighting tyrants like the North Korean regime. Jesus Christ puts an end to their tyranny, he says. And he goes on, he says this. 
he says this. The North Koreans also told him that if one person came back and started an orphanage, that is in North Korea, and ten children become Christians, they will only multiply from there and present a threat to the nation. He says, never forget that for believing Christians, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any earthly government. When the people respect God's law and righteousness above all earthly leaders, tyrants and the devils that influence them quake in their boots. He said this, quote, they said, in other words, North Korea said, they said, we are not afraid of nuclear weapons. We are afraid of someone like you bringing religion into our country and use it against us, and then everybody will turn to God, and this will become God's country, and we will fall. Unquote. Yeah, God's word divided the Red Sea, stopped the waters of Jordan, and as a result of God's word, all the people of the land of Canaan fainted when they heard about it. You, know, you play games with the word of God if you want to, but I can assure you of one thing. Either it will save your soul and transform your life, or it will be your judge and sentence you to an everlasting destruction. You know what happened to those who resisted the word of the Lord? Well, in the wilderness, Israel, those who resisted died in the wilderness. During Jesus' day, those that resisted and crucified him had Titus and the Romans destroy them. For they said, let his blood be upon us and on our children and they perished and you you can reject the truth of the word of God long enough God will give you a reprobate mind that's really a mind that can't think rationally you look around today at people I mean the, the, the gang of four. Just look at them. They can't think rationally. In other words, they're not the only ones. People can't think rationally. You know, we would say, what in the world are they thinking? You know, it is a fool who says, no, God You know, we come to Revelation 19, you know, it is game over. Game's over. We have here, pictured for us, the mightiest men the world has to offer, cast alive in the lake of fire. And the remnant are slain with the word of God. Just the word of God. Look at, look at, uh, look back to Zechariah again. Zechariah 14. And verses 12 and 13. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but once you look at this, 
Zechariah 14, 12, and 13, it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. It shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. They shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise against, up against the hand of his neighbor. You know, they're gonna, their bodies are just going to kind of rot away while they're standing there, and then there's going to be this confusion and fighting amongst themselves. They're going to all kill each other. It's by the word of the Lord. By the way, this isn't the first time this has ever happened. It happened to the, those that came against Gideon. They fought one another. You know, the, the angel Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Just one angel. Maybe it was the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that book you're holding in your hand is the sword of the Spirit. It's a sword. But I want you to notice the third thing. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 16 he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, this shows us that he is King of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. He will reign supreme. You know, this is this, what we have here in this context. You know, this is the best, the greatest, the most brilliant, the mightiest, the most magnificent the world has to offer in opposition to God. And they are defeated and destroyed simply, again, by the word of his power. And he will, he will tread them like one treads grapes in a wine press. You know how you tread, you know. The way you tread grapes in a wine press is you just put the grapes in the press and you just stomp all over them. Just walk all over them. Did you ever, did you ever fight somebody and, you said, you know, and they said, you know, boy, you just walked all over him. You know, there was no contest. This, but this is the mightiest, the greatest, the, the, the most brilliant, and the geniuses of the world, and they're going to be just stomped on like they're in a wine press. He's going to feed them to the birds of prey, verse 18. So an angel standing in the sun and cried in a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together on the supper of the great God, that you may eat flesh of kings and flesh of captains and flesh of mighty men and flesh of horses, them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now, this is a massacre. And with this, think of this, he will not lose one soldier. Remember what Isaiah 63 says? Mine own arm hath brought salvation. You know, we need to realize who the Lord is. Go to Psalms chapter 2.
vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to him in his wrath and vex them in his hot sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill Zion. I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You know, the father is going to give to the son as an inheritance all the possessions of the earth. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Here's the instruction to us. Be, now, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And the idea of kissing the sun, what do, what do people do with their idols? They kiss them. It speaks of worship. They, they kiss their idols. We're to kiss the sun. We're to worship the sun. Lest he be angry. You know, if we don't give him the worship that is do his name if we don't acknowledge him for who he is our lord and master he said you call me lord lord you do not the things that i say if we don't if we don't give him or worship him for who he is he'll be angry it's an offense to a holy and righteous god so kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You see, we need to give him the rightful place in life. We need to receive him as our Lord and our Savior, the Lord of our life, to worship him for who he is, as he is. Surrender our will to him and serve him. For one day he's coming. He's coming not to save the world. He's coming to judge. He already came to save it. He's made everything possible that, he, that God can possibly do has been done to save sinners. From their sin. He gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. And when he comes again, he's going to come in judgment and righteousness to make war on those who refuse to worship him for who he is. You know, so he's coming to judge and make war. The question is, are you on the right side? There's going to be a battle. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for the Lord's coming? You know, we don't know when the Lord's coming. We know it could be soon. But our Lord, you know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, it, 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 is, a, it is an encouragement to know that our Lord, despite what we see in this world and the hardships we face, 
Our Lord is going to reign, rule and reign. One day all this wickedness is going to be conquered and destroyed. And we will rule and reign with him. In fact, it says that, you know, those are, those were, they were on white horses with him. That's us. I'm going to get my white horse. Yeah. The question is, are you, are you ready? Are you prepared? You have that assurance of salvation. And are you serving him? Like we said this morning, are you in fellowship with him?